Hi friends, I'm Anna. And I'm Renee. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. No one is having a meltdown. No one. We are just here recording and no one is having a panic attack or a allergic reaction to something that she's not aware of. Everything's under control. And as such, today we are talking about what we've been watching, discussing Farthing by Joe Wathon and digging into Yoon Ha Lee's newest middle grade novel, Dragon Pearl. We were supposed to discuss something else. Farthing was a vault topic. Uh, congratulations, patrons. Uh, we're moving our vault topic to this episode because I literally looked at the things we were going to discuss and could not remember reading them. It's a little scary, but it's going to be fine. It's fine. I just stuck my face into the freezer because I was having, am having, I guess, an allergic reaction to something that I just ate in a soup from a supermarket, which is something that I never do. I'm so sorry for bringing you my bad luck. I have been cursed for like two weeks now, and now it's an infected the podcast. No, but you won in an election. That is true. I just feel like we should put this out there and have people congratulate you. And now we'll be congratulating you live on this very podcast. Congratulations, Renee. Well done. I'm so proud. Thank you. I, uh, I'm glad it's over. I'm never going to do it again. So let's enjoy it while it lasts. She says, until next time. A new week means new things that we've been watching. What's on your list, Renee? I finally got to watch Venom starring Tom Harney. A lot of people went in this movie going, what the hell? But they said, if you watch it as a romantic comedy, it gets a lot better. What? And by romantic comedy, I mean a romantic comedy between Venom and Eddie. No. Yes. Isn't that a problem with consent there, though? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, Anna. <laughs> Indeed. I've read so much fic for this pairing already. No way. <laughs> yes, I have. I'm going to actually send you some and be like, here, Anna, read this. No. Yes. No. I have zero interest. I have what? I don't like Tom Hardy. There, I said it out loud in public for everybody to hear. Don't care about him. Don't care about Venom. Have zero interest in this movie, in this actor, in this pairing. No. I'm still going to send it to you. <laughs> Just when you least expect it, you're going to open Slack and be like, what the hell is it? No, Renee, no. <laughs> anyway, it was... A trash movie, but like I really enjoyed it. Also, I was extremely happy with the beginning of the film. Spoilers, I suppose, if you haven't seen Venom yet. But at the very beginning, Eddie Brock does something really terrible. And it involves his fiance and gets her fired. And literally, she takes her engagement ring off on the street, gives it to him, and walks away. And they don't get back together. And it's really nice. I'm like, good. Solid movie. Good work. They do become friends in the end, but at least they don't get back together. There's going to be Venom too? Uh, I think so, yeah. Like, Eddie's not the greatest guy, and Venom's not a good guy at all. 
he's an evil alien. It? He? I don't know. But they kind of make each other better. And they eat bad guys. Not sure I'm totally for that, but whatever. It's a movie. It's fiction. And everybody, I really need you to at Anna. You can do that on Twitter at Booksmugglers and be like, you don't like Tom Hardy? What? I really, really don't. I love Tom Hardy. Yeah, I know. Since Inception. Since Inception, indeed. Although, I don't know what he was doing with his accent in this movie. I don't know what that was. Next, I spent like a day watching James Beach videos. People are like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's a comedian. He uses like visual aids to do comedy. And one of his biggest tricks is that he will communicate with spammers. Oh, hold on. Is that the guy who he has a TED talk? Yes. So that's one that like creates this whole sequence of events. Yes, I have seen that video. Yeah, he has a lot of different videos and he's very funny. I find him very funny. I know funny is subjective. But, like, I just find all his videos very enjoyable. They're very interactive. So if you like, I don't know what you would call it, like, situational comedy, you might like his videos. You can find most of them on YouTube. Next, I rewatched Coco because Anna talked about it on the podcast. So guess what I did? I went and rewatched it with my mom and Zach. Oh, my God. Predictably cried everywhere, even though I knew it was coming. Here's the thing about Coco. You figure out what's happening very early on. It's not subtle. But it's going to rip your heart out. None of the people I watched with figured it out. I did because I read a lot. Yes, but our listeners are very savvy. They're genre savvy. They're going to turn it on and be like, okay. So I'm just warning them up front that they're going to figure it out. But you got to stay to like the last part of the movie. So you can dehydrate yourself through crying. Next uh, are two things that are sort of related to watching, I guess. I'm just going to put podcasts here because I'm not going to create a new segment for what we're listening to. That's just overkill. I listened to Bagman by Rachel Maddow. If you don't know American history, we had a vice president. His name was Spiro Agnew. He was Nixon's vice president. And while Nixon was going through his disastrous Watergate scandal, our vice president had a completely separate scandal where he was running an extortion and bribery ring out of the White House. What? And I knew sort of about this. Obviously, I have a history degree. I knew of it. He was not a good guy. But I didn't know, like, the details. And so listening to this podcast was eye-opening. Like, holy shit. He could have been indicted on 40 counts of felonies and misdemeanors and things that he did wrong. 40 counts. But he was a vice president. If you like history or you like Rachel Maddow, because Rachel Maddow is excellent, you will probably like Bagman. It's seven episodes. They're all very short. I listen to it in a day. I'm just going to add this to my rosa right now. If you like true crime, although nobody gets murdered, sorry. And lastly, I have been playing Final Fantasy VI. Still playing it because it's a Final Fantasy game. I'm probably going to be playing it for around 100 hours. I thought it was going to say 100 years, which also sounds legit. I overlevel, so I always spend extra time on games that I probably don't need to. But it just makes things go by so quickly. And that's what I've been watching. What have you been watching, Anna? Netflix is on a roll this year. I think I already had talked about sex education, about how much I loved it. Ever since watching that, I've also watched the third season of One Day at a Time, which is about a Cuban-American family who lives in California. 
And they have the Abuela, who is played by Rita Moreno in the role of a lifetime. She's so funny and she's the best character. I'm pretty sure I talked about it on the show already. But the third season, well, the Abuela is an immigrant. Her daughter was born in America. And then there are the grandchildren who are all navigating this space in America. And it's a very political show. It's a very funny show. It has a laughing track, and I haven't seen one of those in such a long time. Uh, But it kind of fits. They have this whole found family going on with the superintendent of their building, who is an immigrant from Canada. And he inserts himself into the life of a family, but they found in each other something. And the girl came out as lesbian in the first season, and she's dating a non-binary character who's addressed as they throughout. It's really, really cool, this show. I really highly recommend it. They need more people to watch the show because they haven't secured yet a season four. And I really think it deserves a season four. So everybody, please go watch One Day at a Time. The other one that I loved is Russian Doll. I guess the first thing you can compare it to is Groundhog Day. Except Groundhog Day is about this white dude who is just nasty and he needs to learn how to behave like a human being. And the day repeats itself in the very same way every day until he falls in love, I guess. So this one is a woman as the main character. The show is also created, directed, written by women. It's an unlikable character but very likable in her unlikability if that makes any sense and the more the day of her death repeats the more different things get until she meets another person who is also stuck on a time loop of his own it's so good it's so good i really wish more people would watch it so if you haven't watched russian doll yet on netflix please do Another Netflix show that I watched recently with Eric Banner is Dirty John, which is based on a true crime podcast that then was transformed into, I think it was four episodes, about this very charming guy who inserts himself into the life of this very wealthy woman. And they get married within meeting each other for like six weeks. From there on, she starts to find out about his past. It's mind-blowing. I've watched Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians is the romantic comedy of last year. I don't know if you watched it, but everybody was talking about it. I thought it was delightful, funny, romantic. And I really want to go to Singapore now. It looked amazing. And A Simple Favor is a thriller with Anna Kendrick. I thought it was really cleverly done, too. She's a super mom, and she becomes best friends with another mom who one day asked her for a simple favor to take care of her child for that evening and then the other mom just disappears and then she starts investigating and that leads her down a rabbit hole it's really cleverly done i i really enjoyed it it's with blake lively too which what a great name i think this is one of the best names who is married to ryan reynolds speaking of ryan reynolds are you gonna go watch the pokemon movie I didn't even know that was a thing that existed. I watched the trailer this morning. I almost pee myself laughing. It's like, I'm definitely going to go to the movies to see this. When I said I wanted to see this movie in the theaters, you should have seen the look Zach gave me. It was like, I want a fucking divorce. 
But did he watch the trailer? Yeah. How can you not want to go to the movies to watch Ryan Reynolds being funny? It's like Deadpool reincarnated as Pokemon. And I'm here for that. I guess we'll find out who gets to see it. So if you have been watching anything that you think we should watch too, just let us know. We are always keen to add more stuff to our never-ending lists. Min comes from a long line of fox spirits, but must keep her power secret while she waits for the day she turns 15 and escape her planet for the space forces to join her brother, June. But when June is suspended for going MIA, Min knows something is up and leaves home to clear his name. Consequences be damned. So that's Yung Halis first middle grade novel that came out from uh, Rick Jordan's Presents line of diverse novels for kids. I was really curious because this is an author who writes really complex, multi-layered adult fiction. How would that be transported into a book for kids? It's a space book, just like his other series. And it has space shenanigans, I guess, an adventure. And I enjoyed it to an extent, not to the extent that I was hoping to. What did you think, Renee? Writing for kids has got to be hard because you never know what reading level some kids are on. Even if middle grade is marketed toward ages like 8 through 12, there's obviously going to be some blurring on the edges of that. Some kids will read books earlier. Some kids will read books later. Creating these books for kids is very difficult. And so I just don't think I am the right person to judge middle grade. Because every time I pick up and read a middle grade book, I get to the end and go, wow, like this and this and this was okay. But I always inevitably come back to this is too simple, making me think that I'm too old for middle grade and not interested in it enough to engage with it like some adults who are invested in middle grade do, like say librarians or middle grade publishers. I think there's a difference between simple and simplistic. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't say simplistic. I really do mean simple. Like, the, the sentence structures, the way the plot moves. I don't mind simple as much as I mind simplistic. So, for me, middle grade still works. If I can get a good story, I don't mind if it's simple or not. I just think I get too bored. Right. I mean, because I've been working for years to be able to read, like, really complicated nonfiction and adult SFF that... I guess it's considered quote unquote hard. So I've been training myself that direction. So to go in the opposite direction, my brain is like, I'm bored. I'm bored. What are you doing? I'm bored. Even though the book's not boring, there's there's no way to call this book boring because things happen and they keep happening. You're going from point A to B, then B to C, then C to like, this kind of like that. And I get that with kids books, that's going to happen. But it also kind of takes some of the tension out of the narrative for me. But, like, if I was 12, it probably wouldn't. I would probably really, really like this. I'm just like, I want there to be a little bit more complication here. I think that's what happened in this book. Because things have no consequences. She just goes, makes terrible decisions. Things just, like, smoothly sail for her. And it's very convenient that someone dies exactly when she needs to find a place in a crew. 
Yeah, I agree that there were consequences for all the bad shit that Min was doing. It's not a book without bad things happening. It's not a book without consequences. But it just felt that Min sailed through too easily, perhaps. And part of me is like, oh, this is really cool that a Korean character gets to have these sort of adventures and go on to do awesome things. But at the same time, she just makes so many bad, immature decisions. And I don't feel like that was anything that pulled her back from that. I feel like maybe she was rewarded for all of those things. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know how to feel about this book. I think I feel like it started in the wrong place. Because I know why we got all the initial stuff with her family. The stuff with her aunt that came out of nowhere. That was the first part that threw me out. You never got to sit in any situation because things were constantly just changing and moving so fast. So it was a, it was very hard to like invest in any part of the narrative. A lot of the side characters are j- really not three-dimensional. Maybe, yeah. Uh, the main character is super developed and everybody else around her had less space to be there. I was thinking back to the fiction I liked as a kid. And to be clear, we did not have like middle grade young adult categories when I was a kid that didn't exist. But the books that I would read, I would love the main character, but I would also, maybe this is my finished nature coming out, I would also fall in love with side characters really, really easily. It's hard to do that in this book because you just don't get much about them. And I feel really weird because literature changes and maybe middle grade fiction is more focused now on the protagonist. I read a lot of middle grade. I read, uh, just recently read The Lost Girl by Anne Usu, which was pretty awesome. And it had so many great characters that she built around the two protagonists. And there was a lot of depth there to all of them. I'm just curious, because I just don't read a lot of middle grade, if plots always work like this, where the character, like you said, gets rewarded for making just a lot of really bad decisions. And the the narrative never calls it out. No, that's. I think that's the problem with this particular book. I'm so sorry to say that. I think this is why I was fairly disappointed in it. I think there was like a very frustrating line that the main character walked, which was she's she was either too carefree or too courageous. And sometimes it was difficult to tell which one she was being. Again, going back to The Lost Girl, there are so many consequences for like for the totally bad actions that the characters take. So I think what I'm hearing from both of us is that the lack of consequences for men's behavior in this book was one of the big problems that we had. It was because she did really stupid things, really stupid things, really outrageously dangerous and thoughtless actions. And I don't think she faced them for what they were. I don't know if, if, if in the context of a book that features Korean characters going on adventures, if this is something that we can discuss or not, because maybe it's about time that characters like that get to be so adventurous and outrageous. And how many white kids in books have done stupid things and got away with it? 
And it's not time for a Korean character to have that same thing. At the same time, it just frustrated me. I mean, I read the whole thing. I read the whole book. And there were things that I really liked about it that I wanted to be explored more. For example, when I say that, I think I started started in the wrong place. Min is not even supposed to be in space. She's not old enough to be in the Space Forces. But I really think it would have made maybe more sense to have her already be on the ship and have it be more like of a, a mystery. But then you lose some of the family stuff that comes in the first the first part of the book that's really nice. I really like the complicated relationships that she had with her family and her planet. But I also think that the way that she has to get from... She has to get on the ship, right? But the way that she gets from... like in the sh- And the ship is point E. But the way she gets from A to E feels sort of like unnecessary and bloated. Like it's one, it wants to be this like very grand adventure story, but there's just so much moving around and things going right. And then the book at the very, very end trying to sell it. Well, oh, well, you make your own luck. Oh, okay. All right. Like she hurt people and it's just never dealt with in the narrative. She did. Yeah. Do I want there to be a more diverse fiction like this? Absolutely. Do I think kids should read this book? Absolutely. Do I think libraries should add this to their collection? A hundred percent because it's pretty nifty space opera that also uses like this very neat magic system korean mythology background but do i want to do i want to read about people hurting other people and getting away with it Mm, no not really not not at all like we read we read love sugar magic uh, a dash of trouble in that book when that character hurts people there are consequences for her hurting people exactly exactly yes I don't know. I'm like you. I like this book, but I was really frustrated by it, too. But I also realized that I am not the the target audience for middle grade fiction. Indeed, that's also true. Like, listen to your librarians, kids. Listen to your booksellers. <laughs> don't listen to grumpy podcast hosts. I really wanted to like it way more than I did. And I thought it was just okay in the end. So how many space bees are you going to give this one? Three, like me? I would give it three in a jar of honey because I really did like the world building. I thought the world building was really, really good. Yeah, same. One summer weekend in 1949, but not our 1949 as we know it, Lucy and David are invited to Farthen, which is surprising because Lucy's mother never approved of Lucy's marriage to David, a Jewish man from London. They are treated to microaggressions and awkwardness, but everything goes very wrong when a politician is murdered and Scotland Yard must come in and investigate all the party attendees and all the evidence points directly at David. This book was first published in 2006 and I had a lot of feelings about it. It's a horror story. It's a fantasy novel about an alternate London, but it's actually a horror story. Accurate. Because this book shows a world during World War II in which Nazis won because England caved to internal pressures of making peace with Hitler, which is something that almost happened in real life. Winston Churchill was sidelined and our version of events never happened. In this 1949, Hitler is still running Europe and England is in the throes of becoming more and more fascist. 
and more and more dangerous to Jewish people. And this is the background of this novel. Lucy is the daughter of aristocrats who were part of the group who engineered peace with Germany. This group is getting stronger and stronger in the way that they are embracing fascism. But Lucy broke away from it and she got married to a Jewish man. And when they are at this house party for which they were invited by her mother, and she can't understand why exactly, because nobody cares about her husband until someone gets murdered. And then that's when shenanigans happen and all the politics behind this whole thing evolves. Hey, Anna, how'd you feel reading this novel on the current climate? I, it was so scary because I could recognize so many of the signs happening right now with the fear of the immigrants, with the England for British only, and fascism that is developing all over the world, not even not only in England, but specifically in England in this very context. And and people and, and what stuck with me the most is just how both Lucy and David and other people who are on the right side of the first kept saying, no, but our laws will prevent things from happening. But no, this is, will never happen. But no, this cannot happen because people are not like that. And yet things kept happening and coming at them, which is exactly what's happening right now. It's like, no, Brexit will never happen. And it did. No, nobody will, is going to vote for that. And yet they do. But no, nobody thinks like this. But yes, they do think like this. It's really, really scary. But it's also based on a true story because um, I was actually read. I, I actually read another book earlier this year called Transcription by Kate Atkinson about what they called the homegrown fascists. Um, they were called the Fifth Colonists, and they were really sympathetic to Hitler and Mussolini within England. And uh, there was this whole spy group with the MI6, which is our equivalent to the CIA, I guess, who were spying on these groups. And they were mostly kind of like benign-ish English people that just happened to side with horrible people. And they were then arrested and, and so on and so forth. So this book here kind of like takes that and just elaborates and creates a scenario in which, well, these homegrown fascists actually have the power to make it happen. And they do. And the book just grows and grows the tension behind people accusing David of this crime and nobody being able to do anything about it. Even the Scotland Yard investigator knew he was innocent, but the circumstances around it prevented him from actually doing his job properly. So that was depressing as hell. It was a great book, but depressing as hell. Yeah, I really liked it, but it's definitely, in our current context, a straight-up horror novel. There was one scene that stood out for me when David is talking to one of the servants at Farthing, and he said, I can give you a loan, I can help you build a business here, and we can show people that Jewish people are just the same as them. And the lady who had escaped another another country and lost her family told him one week I was serving a family some food and we were being friendly and chatting and they were enjoying themselves 
And then the next week, that same family had members throwing rocks through my restaurant window. For the modern version of this, I was in Panera working and I have a sticker on my laptop. It has like a little flag and a little kid and the flag flags lines. The stripes are like bars and it says in family separation now. And it's a pretty big sticker. So it stands out. There was a guy at a table in front of me and he turned around and he looked at my laptop and he was like, why do you have that sticker on your laptop? when the situation at the border is so bad, I told him it's a manufactured crisis due to racism and xenophobia and families are being ripped apart and kids are being kidnapped. He's like, well, those kids will be better off without parents like that. What's happening really with this kidnapping stuff is that a lot of these kids are being sent to evangelical Christian homes, kidnapped from their parents and sent to homes that may not be safe. And so what's happening again, it just looks different. And it really upsets me that people can't draw the lines between these, like these, between these events and see how they relate and how power is being used to like dehumanize other human beings so they're more easily demonized. So reading this book was really hard. We're in a country where our president is a Russian asset and a felon. He wants to be a dictator. Sometimes I think our democracy is good and it's strong, but fascism is really, really sneaky and hard to beat because it's so subtle and how it sneaks up on you. The signs are so clear, though. The dismantling of democratic institutions are just happening in front of our eyes. The Republican Party is just enabling all of this. The Tories are enabling this in the UK. There are, there are parts of the book that also speak to stuff happening now, like the police, where this, this officer from Scotland Yard knows the truth and even discovers more of the plot that the farthing set planted to take over the government. The police are in the pocket of the politicians and so they shut him down by blackmailing him with his homosexuality then there was a, the, a, a part of the story about a girl who knew somebody that the farthings had hired to to do something not good and he was supposed to survive but he was killed instead and carmichael the the scotland yard police officer finds this woman she's very upset because he did it for like good money they needed money. And so he did this task for these people who asked him to do this task for the money. And now he, he had died and she's just going to be trapped in this, this, what I read as a dead end job. I mean, we see that now. We see these things happening now. Corruption of police, powerful people paying others off to do dirty work. I mean, for if to use the example of the woman who got stuck in that dead-end job because her fiancé was murdered for doing a job, probably for not that much money in the end. Like, look, at what, look at what's happening in North Carolina right now in the U.S. A man who was running for office hired a dude to, like, basically falsify ballots. And there's money there. I don't know how long it'll take us to figure out how much that dude was making on that falsifying ballots thing to elect a Republican congressperson. Joe Walton's book is fantasy. But it's very much set in reality because even though this is an alternate 
London. It takes elements from things that are actually present at that particular time in real life. So, for example, the homegrown fascists, they were real. The class divisions between the aristocrats and the working class, very real. The persecution of queer people and the laws to repress them in England, very real. And then, of course, human nature that repeats itself, also very real. And a lot of people talk about, oh, I'm not going to bring kids into the world under these circumstances. And how would you do that? How would you live life? How would you do anything if things were actually that bad? I mean, things are pretty bad right now, and we're all going through our lives like everything is normal. Lucy is going to have a baby. And they actually also adopt a bunch of other foster children, Jewish children, who are escaping. We talk about how this book is horror, but it's also full of hope, because there's a beautiful romance between Lucy and David. There is the element of them being able to, spoiler, run away and have their own family which makes them really, really lucky in the context of what was happening in Europe at the time. And there are people in the book who disagree with what's happening. Yes, there is an underground uh, resistance going on all across Europe and England. And you, get the, and you get the feeling that there are characters who have given in to this, but don't re- quite realize how bad it's gotten that you suspect might change their minds. Her mother was the architect. She's the devil. And I love that Luce was like, it was my mother. She was like, she knew from the start. She's like, this, this, is, this is my mom. My mom is evil. So yeah, you have really evil people, but then you have like some really like good people too, like Carmichael, for example. And I know he comes up in the second two books. Really? Okay. I didn't know that. And so I'm kind of interested to read what's happening, although I, I assume the series gets much darker. Yeah, but maybe before it gets lighter, hopefully. I think I wouldn't read them. But there's hope here. Lucy had a governess while she was growing up, and the governess is who she goes to to help her and David escape, and the governess turns out to be part of that little underground system. Lucy's mother was just a monstrous human being, and Lucy didn't inherit any of that. Lucy learned from this other person how like to value other people. And because she learned that from this other person, her mother's disregard for other people's humanity never took with Lucy. And that's how we end up with Lucy and David being able to escape this situation and go to Canada. And there's a lot of queer people in this novel too. David is bisexual. Lucy's brother was bisexual. Carmichael is gay. I know that over the last year, like we got more political but like one of the reasons that we became more political well obviously 2016 is because like once something like 2016 happens you can't stop seeing the politics and pretty much everything that happens especially in stories which is my biggest big issue i go into a story and i'm reading and i'm just like hmm okay that's a political choice that this writer just made there's that whole, that quote, the personal is political. Everything is political. Like, everything is a political choice. Like, we ha- we're we faced with these political choices. And some of it is about personal safety. But, for example, Lucy and David in this book, they really put their bodies on the line at the end of this novel when they take on these kids. Because they're placing themselves in between the world and these children. And a lot of people say, well, 
who would I be if I were alive during World War II? Or who would I be if I were alive during the civil rights era? You already know who you would be. I would be Lucy. (laughs) Who is, I think, a very interesting character because of the way Jill Walton writes her as kind of like an airhead. But not really. But she is one of the most thoughtful characters in this novel. She's paying attention to everything and she's hearing everything. And because of the way she talks or the way she holds herself, people can take her as like an ignorant person who's not aware of what's going on. They underestimate her. Carmichael doesn't, though. And David doesn't. I really liked David. Although we don't see much of him because we're, we're really only seeing the narrative through Lucy's eyes and Carmichael's eyes because they're our narrators. Like, you really feel the affection that they have for each other, which I thought was so lovely. The The romance here is very, very heartwarming. It's really nice. We are talking about this. I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to go to Amazon and I'm just going to order the next books because now it has inspired me. So Half Penny, Small Change Trilogy, book two. So yeah, I, this book brought up a lot of feelings. Like I was really reminded of uh, Sarah Kinzier's work. If you have not... Uh, read anything by her stay away from her like opinions about like international stuff some of them opinions are not well formed uh, but I really do like her some of the thoughts in her book so when I say that I like her stuff it's because she lives where I live so she lives in St. Louis and I live four hours from St. Louis so we're like in the same sort of geographical area and the po- a lot of the politics are similar uh, although she does live in the city I live in a more rural area but she has like a lot of good insights about communities like ours and she's been banging the fascism drum for a while now and so i highly recommend her work on like u.s culture specifically if you're looking for some insight to like the mid-south fascism is definitely something that is very very likely to hit communities like mine where the kkk was very powerful where evangelical christianity is very powerful like these patriarchal hierarchies. Like we're very susceptible to fascism. And you can see it when you look at some of our politics. I really like this book. I was actually surprised. Because it doesn't feel like a fantasy novel. Even though it is a, it's an alternate like alternate future novel. It was, and then, so I wasn't really sure what to make of it. And then you get like a few chapters in and you're just like, fuck, fuck, this is going. The tension just, it like it gets you. My, like, my chest hurt when I was, like, halfway to this book. I was like, oh, God. I had to go look up spoilers. I had to ask people what happened. Me, too. I read about the ending first, so I could continue. If this book had ended any other way, I would not be okay. I would have not... If I, if I had read, the like, the spoilers for the ending and they had been bad, I would not have finished the book. We would have been talking about, a, like, a, an aborted book. Fine. Realism. Fine. I can handle this. But not in fiction, apparently. <laughs> Do you know what really reminds me? And I think it could be a good comparison to an extent. Get Out. Interesting. Explain. Because Get Out is also a fantasy, quote, based on reality. And it was a very, very, very tense movie. Again, it's a historical piece that feels like it's far away enough from history, but it's not really do you know what I mean? And it's like, and people are making the same bad decisions and oppressing people. This book was hard to read, though. I think I was reading it. I think I was reading it on a day when the president was on Twitter screaming about how the press was the enemy of the people or something. What day was that? Who knows? 
It happens so often now. <sighs> I know the primary season is already awful. And I know Brexit is coming. Well, is it? Who knows? They are talking about maybe, maybe postponing it. So, But even that, even postponing it, it just, it's still hanging over your head. It's a stain. It's a shadow. It's a cloud. It's everything. And we have the same thing here with these primaries. We don't know how much Russia is going to affect the primaries. So it's a really hard book to read in these circumstances when we have these things happening. But I really think it's a valuable book to read, too. And the characterization is lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Five Space Bees. Five Space Bees. This is also my first Joe Walton novel ever. I read Tooth and Claw, which was also lovely. It took me a long time to read Joe Walton, but I'm glad I did. It is a new week, and we've also had plenty of time to get obsessed with something new. What's on your list, Renee? Oh, Anna, let me talk to you about Twitter and my newfound love of blocking people. Do you go searching for people to block just so that you can get that brush of adrenaline? So I don't actually go out and search for them. Like if I'm reading my timeline and somebody tweets a tweet by like a woman or a person of color into my timeline, I tap into the replies. And I found the first five people who are being assholes and I blocked the shit out of them. Listen, friends, there are lots there. And in fact, if you just want to go follow Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, just click into her one of her tweets once a day and be like, first five people, block, block, block. It will take you three seconds because there's a lot of them. And also, I started automatically blocking people who have usernames with over five numbers in them. Okay, I saw you tweeting about that. And what's the rationale behind it? Those are bots. If you are a person and your username has six numbers because you have a birthday, number one, that's really bad. Don't use your birthday for stuff like that. Number two, change it because you look like a fucking bot. Friends don't let friends follow bots or argue with bots or quote tweet bots and mock them. If you see an account, even if it might look legit, it doesn't matter. It's a bot if it has those numbers. And if it's not a bot, it's somebody who is so clueless about social media that they didn't change their u- automatic username that Twitter gives to new accounts. They're probably going to be signal boosting bots. Block the bots. <laughs> Block them. You should get a t-shirt done. And I just found it to be lovely because now people will tweet, like, quote, tweet things into my timeline being like, this is an asshole move. And I'll not be able to see it. It'll be like, this tweet is unavailable. And I'm just like, I've already blocked that person. And I just get, it's just so nice. I don't have to see any of this garbage that gets churned up through the Twitter outrage machine because I've blocked the people that people are getting angry at. It's so nice for my mental health. I can just be like, sorry, this happened, pal, and move on. I don't even have to see what they're upset about. I love it. Also, I've been trying to like, quote tweet garbage less which is a a lesson that i recently got from a video i watched about jay smooth he calls it do not link to the line steppers people who do really bad things on social media in order to get an outrage reaction in order to get clicks in order to get ad views you can talk about them but don't link to them because when you link to them you're making them money anyway that's what i've been obsessed with lately blocking the shit out of jerks I'm not talking about like going in and blocking people having like disagreements with each other. 
But like if you're going to like a woman or a person of color and being a jackass, you're getting blocked. Because if you're going to do that to them, if I want to comment on their thread, you might do it to me. Uh-uh. Not happening, bucko. It's almost always a white dude. Unless it's like white Republican women who are almost worse than the white Republican men. Anyway, so that's what I've been obsessed with the last few weeks. What about you, Anna? I've been obsessed with my family tree. So Russell and I uh, signed up for a website called FamilySearch.com, which belongs to the Mormons because they have been going around the world and creating a database, basically microfilming it and uploading documents from various places in the world. So, for example, they have tons of documents from Brazil. I don't know if you know that, but the, the Mormon church is huge in Brazil, especially from where Russell is from and from Portugal. So we set it up, we heard about it, we set it up and we started building our family tree there. And on my mom's side, I found documents like my great grandmother's birth certificates online. My father's immigration card from Portugal is online. And so is my grandmother's looks so young there and so cute has all been scanned and and put it in this database. I can also find this like in Brazilian slides, but in this place, you can actually build the family tree through that. And I went on my mom's side, I went all the way back to like an earl in the 1700s in Brazil. And then in Portugal, all the way back to the 1700s in Portugal on my mom's side and on my father's side as well, obviously, because my father is Portuguese. But I can't find my paternal grandfather. I don't have any details about him because he died when my dad was seven years old. I think I don't even know because if I knew I would have his date of death and I could find his death certificate and then find the rest of... I just know his first name, his last name, and that he was married to my grandmother in 1933. But that particular year doesn't have, there is nothing online. I can't find a marriage certificate. I can't find anything. I think he was born in 1910, but also can't find a birth certificate because I don't know where he was born apart from Portugal. Of course, my dad died. My grandmother is dead. My uncle is dead. I have a living aunt, my father's sister, but she doesn't have any documents. And she doesn't remember him because she said she was like a baby when he died. And I can't find anything about my grandfather. This is driving me up a wall because I just want to know who he was. So my family tree stuck there. Russell, on the other hand, found out that he had a Brazilian Indian. It was probably his great-great-grandmother, which is something that he kind of suspected from looking at his grandmother's face. But nobody knew about it in concrete terms. And then the rest of his families are like Italian immigrants and he could find the boats that they came in. And he's, oh my God, Russell found out that one of his relatives like killed the other one, stabbing the other one, was poisoned by his wife. I was like, what? <laughs> so gross, so far for us as Italians. <laughs> and also, like the more you learn, like the more you realize that humans are pretty fragile. Yes. And I think it's really interesting too that like people that are so close to you, like a grandfather, those traces are so easily lost. But genealogy can be really neat. The stuff that you can find is really fascinating. 
like proto-feminism where you find a, a, like a great aunt who got married but kept her own name and it was 1876 or something. Like it's really interesting too because like one of the things that we have in Latin names or in Portuguese names that like you get all the surnames you get but first it's the same name of your mother and then the surname of your father so this is why my name is so long but then I discovered I was reading about genealogy and looking at Portuguese thing, but apparently in the 18th century people were just like I fuck that fuck I'm just gonna choose my own name and I was like oh so this is why I can't find these people <laughs> Because they are not following the rules. <laughs> Fangirl Happy Hour is supported by all our patrons. We are so grateful for everyone who supports us, especially our supporters at our $5 pledge level. Thanks to Anne-Marie, Claire, Brandy, Amanda, Elisa M, and Jen. Thanks to Devla, Mago, Philip, and Emmy. Thanks to KJ, Hedwig, Elisa, Transcendencing, and Lara. And last but not least, Mark, Jocelyn, and Karen. Thanks to every single one of our patrons for helping us make our show. You have been listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. We'd love to hear your thoughts or recs. You can message us on Twitter at FangirlPod or email us at FangirlHappyHour at gmail.com. Our podcasting team includes Ira, our show artist, and our transcription queen, Susan. Their work is available at fangirlhappyhour.com. Our team also includes you, listening to this right now, all our Patreon supporters and newsletter subscribers. Don't forget to drink water, contact your reps, and send a thank you note to someone who did something nice for you recently. Block people. Fight the fascists. Resist. Thanks for listening to our show, Space Bees. See you next episode. Uh, in the intro is today we're talking about what we are reading, but it's actually what we are watching. Oh. <laughs> what color is the sky? I'm your mood, I'm your mood. When should I put my shoe? I'm your mood, I'm your mood. You should put them on your head. I'm your mood, I'm your mood. You make me un poco loco, un poquitito loco. I love this song so much. White men, y'all. Dang. Are you allowed to say shit in a commentary on a middle grade? But whatever. I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> All right. Get my phone out. Twitter. <laughs> plane. You're distracting me. I was I had a thought and I lost it because of the plane. Or train or whatever it was. You lost your train thought. <laughs> Ooh. There's an audiobook. I blocked so many people like when that whole Diane Feinstein video thing happened. I blocked so many people for retweeting sexist commentary into my timeline. I'm just like, nope, I'm done. Because if you can't tell the difference between like legit criticism and like sexism, I don't, I don't, I don't need it. Uh, I'm not here for it. Goodbye. Oh God, it's a plane again. <laughs>